Welcome to the Integral Health Resources Podcast. This is Bob, and uh, I'm on winter break here from uh, my graduate school program. I've got one semester left now coming out of this break, and I'm really starting to feel uh, just, uh, it's just been a glorious sense of freedom um, being on winter break and being able to read the things I want to read. Uh, dive into the things online that interest me and not be compelled to prepare for exams and read textbooks and everything. So one of the um, first articles that I read that I had sort of bookmarked, uh, actually it wasn't an article, it was a video. And it was a by a guy named Bruce Levine, who's a psychologist. And he's part of this, I guess, you know, he would call it the anti-authoritarian movement in mental health. And, um, I, you know, I, I was thinking a little bit about uh, my own website here and looking through the Integral Health Resources site and and realizing at least once a year, and sometimes it's during these winter breaks, I, I tend to reassess uh, the direction I'm going and the, and the different perspectives that I'm most interested in. And I'll re uh, just revision the site, revise it, and... I think a lot, uh, especially since I've been doing this podcast, a lot of the things that I've been talking about probably fall in this category of anti-authoritarian perspectives in mental health. Uh, Bruce Levine, the way he defines this, he defines authoritarian as an unquestioning obedience to authority, regardless of the merits of that authority. And, you know, this is one of the things that I've complained about in other podcasts, uh, especially, you know, with respect to what I've seen anyway as a tendency in graduate school amongst the graduate students in my program to just really acquiesce to whatever points of view are given to them, whether that's by professors or textbooks or whether it's the party line of a professional organization like the American Counseling Association, for example. And people just, you know, they just accept whatever comes their way without a whole lot of pushback. And that's bothered me. I mean, I got interested in psychology uh, back in the 90s uh, and a lot of the folks that um, really interested me were people that were articulating an alternative vision of psychology uh, and mental health. And so, you know, in my undergraduate years, it was a very uh, stats and rats is, is what we called it. You know, there's a very scientific viewpoint um, where everything had to be measurable. And if you were into psychology, uh because you were interested in self-discovery and this sort of thing, uh, you tended to be really disappointed once you got past, you know, the intro psych class. And even in my intro psych class in college, I was, you know, barely exposed to, you know, humanistic psychology. I think it was maybe one paragraph in the intro book, maybe mentioned Carl Rogers or something, or the Abraham Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And so, you know, I went through, I got my bachelor's in psychology, and I I felt like, you know, it still wasn't my thing. I mean, I was really hoping it was going to be about self-discovery and 
um, about sort of understanding my direct experience. And then when I moved to San Francisco and I discovered the California Institute of Integral Studies, where I got my first master's degree in East-West psychology, this is where, you know, things were just blown open. And I was exposed then to the, you know, humanistic psychology, transpersonal psychology. And there was a real, you know, a lot of these folks that were leaders in this field um, came to prominence during the the human potential movement in the 60s. And there's a very countercultural vibe to all that. And it was very anti-authoritarian when you when you read a lot of the folks that are were involved in humanistic psychology when it first came out, you could get a sense that, you know, it was it was cool to be anti-authoritarian. It was, you know, it was that's what you were supposed to do. You were supposed to sort of push back and question the status quo. And, you know, I've really had that streak, I think, in me, um, you know, from the beginning and everything, you know, the literature that I like, the philosophy that I read uh, has to has this sort of anti-authoritarian bent. And so, yeah, when I watched this this video by Bruce Levine, the, the title of the presentation, and of course, I'll link to this in the show notes here is the anti-authoritarian movement to rehumanize mental health. And so, you know, his his definition of anti-authoritarian is, you know, when you assess the legitimacy of authority and you resist illegitimate authority. So you're questioning before you're complying. And he's talking about this in the context of uh, what he calls establishment psychiatry. And um, I, I've linked to a lot of stories on uh, you know my Twitter feed and my Facebook feed, and I've written articles on my website over the last several years that really chronicle uh, probably since about 2008 uh, chronicle the undermining of the field of modern psychiatry. And I agree with Levine that in recent years, establishment psychiatry has lost massive amounts of credibility. Uh, and I wrote an article on uh, Integral Health Resources on this presentation as well. So I did a blog post on this, and I'll, I'll link to that as well. But if you go back to 2007-2008, Congress, led by Chuck Grasley, I believe, uh, investigated the field of psychology for basically not disclosing different conflicts of interest when it came to drug company funding. And there were many uh, major people in the field of psychology that were investigated and found you know, that they weren't disclosing the ties that they had to drug companies. One of the most famous examples was the psychiatrist Joseph Biederman, I believe he was a Harvard psychiatrist, and he was almost single-handedly responsible for uh, this idea or this diagnosis of pediatric bipolar disorder, which really wasn't in the DSM-4 at the time um, as a, as a disorder. I mean, bipolar disorder was something that was diagnosed in adults, but Biederman. Um, did some research 
and really pushed the idea that bipolar disorder was something that was, you know, being not being picked up in kids, because I guess kids, from his perspective, they would, um, you know, they would, they would express mania and depression much differently than adults. And based on, on his research and his sort of mouthpiece, uh, pediatric bipolar disorder was diagnosed and it increased like 40-fold over the span of a decade. And you had, you know, kids all over the United States being um, diagnosed with this and prescribed uh, medicines like Risperdal and Abilify. And, uh, of course, you know, not everybody thinks that's a great idea, including me. But um, the interesting thing was how in bed this guy Biederman was uh, with the drug companies, and he was really exposed as a shill from my point of view. And this was a big, um, a big case, but there was also several other prominent psychiatrists that were sort of exposed as being in the pockets of um, the pharmaceutical industry during this congressional investigation. And, you know, so that right there undermines the credibility of establishment psychiatry. And then, you know, there's numerous uh, authors, even my, including myself, who have, uh, I think, credibly debunked the uh, brain disease or the biochemical brain imbalance theory of mental illness. Um it's not just an alternative media that these articles are published. You see this in on mainstream media outlets all the time. I don't think any serious person can really hold to this uh, point of view that mental illness is all about a brain disease or a biochemical imbalance. Although, if you were around, you know, five, ten years ago, I'm sure you could see how um, this this view was pushed. Um, by drug companies uh, and the and by psychiatrists and and many anyone you talk to um, was buying into this propaganda that you know they they had some sort of chemical imbalance whenever they were experiencing some sort of difficulty. So I think this was another uh, way that establishment psychiatry lost a lot of credibility in recent years. And then you have you know what I've again written numerous times in this on this website is you have establishment psychiatrists, people that were leaders in the field, like Alan Francis, who I mention all the time on this podcast, who was the chair for the DSM four and is now, you know, a sort of warrior for the cause of reforming psychiatry. Uh, Thomas Insel, who was um, the director of the NIMH until recently, he was another psychiatrist who like Francis completely, distance themselves from the DSM-5 when it came out. Uh, Thomas Insull just said, you know, we need to we need to step away from this diagnostic system uh, when it comes to research funding because we just don't, um, we don't think there's validity to it. And so then he came up with this whole other uh, research agenda called RDOC, which uh, I've mentioned also um, on this website before which I think also has some problems. But anyway, Thomas Insel, uh, Ronald Pease, Alan Francis, all these insider psychiatrists were sort of pushing back against the DSM-5 and 
there was just lots of mainstream media articles and a lot of these are linked again in the show notes and on, on my blog post on this topic and you can read about them there but uh the credibility of of psychiatry has just been taking shots left and right um and there's you know there's also been research as Levine points out in his talk that uh you know really questions the effectiveness of a lot of psychotropic medicines for particular uh quote unquote disorders so with all of this you would think um if there is even the slightest bit of anti-authoritarian sentiment uh, out there um you know people would just not acquiesce in the face of uh psychiatry's um supposed authority but we do in the field of mental health even despite all these ways that that psychiatry's credibility has been undermined it seems that there's still this this uh hegemony that psychiatry has and i i know in my own field of mental health counseling that people just kind of accept that you know the psychiatrist is the one in charge of the multidisciplinary treatment team and diagnosis rules when it comes to insurance company reimbursement and everything else. And there's just no escape from it. So no matter if we have in counseling a, a wellness model or an integrative perspective, we still just need to sort of bow down to this, this medical model and, uh, and pretend like psychiatry has more credibility than it does. And one of the very interesting things I thought about, um, Bruce Levine's video here, his presentation was he goes into why establishment psychiatry persists as an authority despite the loss of credibility. And from his perspective, it's not just about drug company money, which, you know, is part of the answer, but is really just the tip of the iceberg. Where Levine goes, and I'm very interested in exploring this further uh, as I think about this in more depth, is that he's he's pointing out that psychiatry is a force that actually covers up the adverse, the dehumanizing, oppressive, alienating aspects of our society. It's it's a force that is used to discount or invalidate or marginalize people who either don't or won't adjust to the status quo, people that rebel against the status quo, or otherwise, you know, can't adjust to our society, that, that psychiatry is uh, something that keeps people in line, and that's why it sort of persists. And I find this um, to be a very interesting argument. Um, some of the examples he uses is he talks about schools, and uh, I think those of us who've worked in schools or even who went to school can get a sense that schools can be an oppressive and dehumanizing environment for kids. They could come in with, you know, their sort of inherent curiosity and ebullience, and, and these things can be really uh, dampened and smothered by the school environment. And so 
some kids are able to adjust and just adapt to that state of affairs. But anybody that can adjust, or a lot of kids that can adjust, that cannot adjust, they get end up with some sort of diagnosis. And um, then their central nervous systems are dulled by one drug or another drug. I just uh, posted or linked to an article today. A new report came out that said that, uh, you know, the prevalence of ADHD has gone up like 43%. Um, There's been a 43% increase in ADHD diagnosis in the last... 10 years and and it's increasing and in, you know girls now um, and minority populations there's huge increases and you can sort of see you get this vague sense that psychiatry has always been used you know as a as something to prop up the status quo but you can really kind of see it happening in real time especially in the schools and so kids that don't get in line, you know, end up uh, getting dulled by medication and getting these diagnoses that, you know, at least from my perspective, they shouldn't be getting. And you can also see this sort of in the in adults in the world of work. Like so many of us have work jobs that um, really sort of dull the soul that you live these lives of daily routine that um, make you feel disconnected and, you know, cut off from yourself and cut off with others. And something that keeps us from, you know, demanding changes structurally in this system is, again, when people aren't able to or refuse to adapt to this sort of soul-destroying society, what they often get is a psychiatric diagnosis and, again, drugs that keep them in line. And so you can see in this way how psychiatry can be used as a tool to maintain um, the status quo and elements of society that really aren't in our best interest. And, um, you know, why it is that, again, we acquiesce, that we don't question, you know, the authority of psychiatry to um, to sort of spoon-feed us, uh, literally spoon-feed us drugs, but spoon-feed us our, our sort of model of what mental health is, is, uh, I mean, it's understandable from, you know, this broader perspective. And, and today... Uh, something I pointed out in my blog post when you see you know that the general population can be so easily worked up into a state of fear when you have that fearful populace um, you know people are just more likely to comply with authority in general without critically assessing it I think you see that you know everywhere you know from in politics with the you know the success of Donald Trump and, um, you know, all around Europe, you know, where, where you, where people start to be afraid, uh, of terrorism or this, that, or the other thing, then sort of the fascist wing of political parties can swoop in and take power. 
because people will just will just uh, you know accept authority that otherwise you know would not be thought of as as legitimate. But uh, when they're in this state of fear, they they tend to acquiesce more. So, um, I don't know. So I think there's a lot of different directions that I that I want to go. I want to think about this more, but I'm, I'm also, you know, situating myself somewhat in this anti-authoritarian movement because so many of the things that I'm interested in and that I rant about here on this podcast tend to sort of, um, have this theme. So anyway, there are other things. So aside from this, this, uh, this new sort of realm and direction I might want to take on the site. I also, been reimmersing myself in the field of somatics and body work uh, over the break and have been really interested in and in getting back into thinking and, and practicing that sort of stuff. And so, you know, there'll be some new directions, hopefully, and I'll have some time over this break to, to do some more revisioning of the website. And as always, uh, anybody can give me feedback either by email at bob at integralhealthresources.com or, uh, you know, a blog comment or, or on Twitter, uh, I'm at, at integral underscore health. So anyone's welcome to give me feedback and uh, I have a little more time to respond to people, uh, if I do get some feedback, but I hope to, uh, you know, stay active in the coming weeks now that I have some time and, uh, really dive back into this stuff. So that's all I have for this week until next time. Take it easy. Be well. Bye-bye.